Hello everyone and welcome to the Canadian Bowler After Dark. I am your host, Daryl Fitzgerald. I'm joined today by a number of guests, one the same, three new, and also my co-host. Uh, I'll introduce them all. Going first with uh, my co-host, Luke Caldwell. You know him from the Canadian Bowler Show. Uh, we do a lot of this stuff together on the channel. So, hey Luke, how's it going? Pretty good, Daryl. How are you tonight? I'm doing pretty good. Make sure I'm pointing the right way, but over to my left here is uh, Jake Shuknick. Uh, you, you might have recognized him from the interview that we did uh, in our, our regular show. He's from Bulls Canada. He bowls out of Ontario. He's been bowling uh, most of his life, I'd say, and he's grown a fantastic beard over the lockdown. So, Jake, how are you doing? I'm doing good, and the, the beard's coming in nice. Very, very nice. Uh, him, we have someone from the state, someone from down south, uh, the Northeast Division, Patrick Duffy. Uh, he's bowled in the U.S. He's bowled most of his life, I'd say, as well. He's also been up to Canada and has participated in events like WOBA. So, Patrick, glad to have you on the show. How are you doing? Thanks for having me on the show. Uh, good for the conversation. Right. Uh, Mike McNaughton, uh, he's a longtime friend of mine. He's bowled out of Ontario. He is now down in the States working under the Google umbrella in California. And I'll say that uh, he's going to join the lockdown on the coast of California. So, yeah. Mike, how you yeah. doing? Doing good, how you doing? I'm, I'm doing great. Yeah. And last but certainly not least, uh, our good friend Cam <laughs> from out in Nova Scotia. He is uh, bowling on the national team. He's been provincial champion more than I can remember for, uh, out of Nova Scotia. He's played in WOBA, he's played in a lot of stuff, uh, done international bowling all over the place. Cam, how you doing? Good, glad to be back. Right. So guys, uh, I just wanted to uh, ask some of our, our non-Canadian friends, well I guess Mike is just a transplant, but uh, um, Patrick, what's it like going out of the Northeast and what's it like being in the um, this year has been a pretty interesting year. Uh, Northeast Division actually has been the only division in the country to actually maintain their um, point schedule. Held uh, two tournaments plus our Open in Pittsburgh, and it went pretty well. We did some extra balls with uh, mandatory mask wearing the whole time on the green. Mask uh, application, jack, no rolling of the jack. But um, other events and other venues have pretty good so far. It's it's been it's been different. I mean, like uh, with COVID, they they were closed for a while. It's kind of closed. So we've opened up now, but we can only play pairs. And uh, it's sort of like a like you said, no rolling jacks. You got to be cautious who's handling what equipment, and then. Just yeah, limited greens basically. Um, so, being from Canada and being down in the states, Mike, uh, what's been the biggest difference for you as far as tournaments availability, all that kind of stuff? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. So, for my area in particular, I've noticed it's significantly less tournaments available. 
they just not played as often and, and more frequently played during the week. So I, I'd say I probably play about the same, but I have a, ter- a, a length of season that's basically twice as long. So I, there's a lot less available, I find, in, in my area. But as you get further south in California, there's a lot more. And that, that brings up an interesting question, because a lot of the bowlers that I know are from the southwest. I, I yeah. see them a lot. I've been down to Arizona uh, and Florida. Um, so, Patrick, for you, what's the best out of the Northeast? What are the opportunities like? Uh, it's interesting, because, I mean, the Northeast uh, is still spread out. I mean, I live in uh, Brooklyn, and there, uh, that's how I even know about the sports my dad played. Um, once you get outside of Brooklyn, there's a club that everybody infamously knows in Central Park that's uh, notoriously slow. Great membership, um, but uh, the green runs like six seconds, seven seconds. Um, once you get outside of New York, you have one green in New Jersey, and then after that, the next any post beat at that is over 100 miles from my house. So um, it's very scant. I, I don't practice. I don't really have a place to practice. I normally just go to tournaments, and it's a it's a pretty tight knit group. Uh, we probably have about 30, 40 ish tournament bowls throughout the division. Uh, but um, yeah, it's a different style. My dad, if, if you guys heard the term, he's a chop and lie player because you can do that more on heavier greens. Um, but overall, when we go out west or go down to Florida and play on Rubico, uh, for the most part, we hold our own. We adapt pretty well. Uh, but it's um, we I guess hold it as a source of pride that we play on heavier greens and you know, mediocre fast greens. Like a good green in the northeast is like 11 and a half, 12 seconds. So it's sort of the same in like Ontario when I've been up there. Um, the perception, I guess, is a lot of Southwest Arizona folks won't travel to the Northeast because to them it's not real bowling going from a 15-second, 16-second green down to maybe a 10-second green. Right. So, um, you know, there's always that little bit of a chip on the shoulder, but um, when you get on the green, you, know, you just adapt to whatever the pace is, you adapt to what it is, and you try to do, try to do your best. That's fair. I mean, uh, I think we get the same thing coming from from Canada down to something like Australia, New Zealand, yeah. even down to, to California or even onto the indoor. Um, it can be a change from 11, 12 seconds up to 15, 16 seconds, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, Jake, I wanted to ask you something. Being from uh-huh. BCB, um, and seeing as we've got a little flavor from north of the border and south of the border, um, what? We haven't talked about the NAC here, but that was supposed to go this year, and it, it's obviously not going to happen. Um, what what does the NAC mean to Bulls in BCB and as far as North America in general? Um, well, that, that's interesting. So the past few NACs, it's been a real good uh, development opportunity. So last NAC, I want to say like half of our development squad and youth development squad were there. So that was a real good chance to sort of get your feet wet with a bit of international competition. Um, so I think it's, it's super useful for like developing players. Cause obviously you don't want to throw someone into like the world championships or Commonwealth games if they've never competed internationally before. So it's a real good, uh, like get your toes wet type of event. Um, it's, it's pretty big because you send like 10 men and 10 women across the like two different squads. So like, it's, it's actually a lot of people. Like when you send people to world championships, like it's five and five. So this is more than double that once you factor in support staff. So it's, it's an interesting dynamic because it's a good chance to get to meet people that are on the international team because there's usually a few veterans there. It's a good chance to get to sort of meet the Americans because other than that, unless you actually go to the U.S. Open, you're probably not going to 
get to know a little more, really get to make those acquaintances. So it's it's a unique event. Um, right now, it's been pushed back to maybe next year, maybe not. I don't know what where the works are at for that right now. But it's it's unique that it's every other year. Um, I don't know if it'd be realistic to do it every year, but I think it's super important. I hope that there's more of it to come. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm a, a big, big fan, fan of the, how it's sort of used for development the last couple NACs. I think it's great, great usage of the event. I agree with those more games. Like six games. <laughs> yeah. So you'd like to see more being done? Yeah. Well, well it's like, well, I played. One of my first events was with Virginia, and then I played World Wars, and then you go from playing like seven games in a section, down to playing six total. It didn't seem like much of it. I mean, it is a short. Have you been part of it? Yeah, I played in two NACs. Uh, both of them were in Canada. Um, I, uh, I played at Stanley Park, I think, in um, Vancouver, way back in like probably 2003 or four, And uh, Regina, probably like six years later. Uh, but yeah, I, I, it's, it's a great event. Uh, I think the Americans are usually a little envious especially for you guys when um, more recent ones anyway that you guys can make it a uh, development thing I mean I think it was amazing that your two teams that you sent to the um, the artificial green in uh, California I forgot the name of it I played there I played there with this little grass Laguna Woods thank you so much um, I think it was awesome that out of the 20 players fr- probably maybe only all, all 20 of them were probably under 40 and it was like that's, that's something I think right now America's dreaming about. I'm one of the younger bowlers in America, and I'm 42 now. So it's it's um, it's something that we're really trying to change. The only place that really has any sort of success is uh, Southwest, because um, like Mike said before, uh, they basically can play year-round. Uh, Northeast is very much season-dependent, and we're so spread out. And on top of that, another huge issue is probably like 80% of the clubs in our country are part of country clubs, uh, retirement communities, so they're not even accessible to uh, the public like that. But with the NAC, I, both my experiences were great. We were fortunate. Um, our group, I think the one, one of the ones, are the men won whatever the overall with the Falcons and all that stuff, and the other one, we won our individual group of five trophy. But um, it is fun. I agree with Cameron. I wish uh, there were more games. Um, it gets a tad bit repetitive. So you play both sections, and then I think depending on how the plus points are, you want to play another t- this, another team again, the same team again. Um, but all in all, it is good fun, and it's one of the definitely one of the few times where uh, the interactions between Canadians and Americans uh, get to socialize and have a good time. Uh-oh. Yeah, I, I do enjoy. It. I wish. I almost wish. It was, I think it was an annual event at first, and then they pushed it to every other year thing. I think the first mm-hmm. years of it, it was annual. But, uh, yeah, it's a great event, and uh, I was actually thinking about applying for the one that was supposed to be in, I think, Ontario this year, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, so, with the format the way it is, I mean, Cameron made the, uh, the comment that, you know, you only play a few games, and then you, that's kind of it. Um, I, I can agree with that. I've played in a few myself, and, uh yeah, you, you start getting into it, and it's almost over before you even get started, right? You kind of play it, and if someone gets out to a good start, well, good luck. Um, I wanted to ask Jake, is there any appetite for possibly a, a change-up of, of the format? Uh, 
Ryan Stadnick kind of threw that out here, and he's the chair of our HPC now. I've heard a lot of discussion about that because it seems like there is sort of a desire from some people in Canada at least to change it up a bit. And speaking for myself personally, I can't speak for Bulls Canada on this really, but for me, um, when I first started at Bulls Canada in 2016, we hosted the NAC at the PIBC in Vancouver. And to try to explain it on our webpage, I found to be the most confusing thing to try to like explain like how it works, the fact that there's so many different teams and there's seven different trophies for the thing. Like, I don't know. I, I would definitely be in favor of shaking it up to try and make it a little bit easier to understand because even as a like experienced bowler, I even find it kind of confusing and trying to use the spreadsheet to calculate standings is just good grief. But um, uh, yeah, I've, I've heard some rumors about uh, possibly changing it up. And so that's where it gets kind of interesting because I don't even know like where to begin with that because it's like a two country event. So that means we'd have to like get buy-in from both like Bulls USA as well as Bulls Canada. And to even start that discussion, I don't even know where to begin because what if like we want one thing and they want something else or vice versa? Like, so, so I, I'm intrigued to see if we can change it up. Cause I think it's been what, like 20 years now of almost the same thing year after year. So I think it's long overdue for a bit of a shakeup, but um, I'm, I don't know if it'll actually end up happening or not though. That's a, that's a good question. What are some of the changes? that they were people were thinking about format was uh i i can just say that uh ryan static in our chat just said uh, what about something like a Ryder cup style format like to have in golf yeah i don't know how you'd maneuver that all together but uh what, what do you guys think about possible options or or what would you like to see it, that's tricky because thinking of like this year um like how do you get people on the national team if you're gonna have senior squad there to go to the nac as well as then also going to world bulls like that's a lot of time off for those people um so like to cam's point about wanting to play more games like i agree like six games isn't much but then at the same time how many people can take off like four months a year to go spend two months in australia getting ready and then come back and then a month and I don't know whether it's Windsor or California or wherever ends up being hosted. So, um, like, I'm torn on that. I almost kind of want to, like, shorten the team. So instead of sending 10 men and 10 women, maybe cut that in half, but then make the event longer, like, five or six days instead of just three. Um, I like the idea of sides. I'd, I'd be interested to try and have, like, you play singles and fours and then triples and pairs and, like, your sides shots matter as opposed to just each individual game. Yeah, yeah. Or, or have a big board that like every shot matters. Not not <clears> like <throat> you're up by 15 last two ends. It doesn't matter. But if you have a big board, every end matters and keep it that way. I just talking about that like cumulative of every round. So it'd be one big total instead of this per game. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. That's uh, yeah. is that Pennant down in Australia? Pennant does that. Yeah, I think yeah. Mm-hmm. Good thought. Um, uh, Leanne Chinnery, uh tuned in from Australia. She she threw out the idea of uh, what about the format that they used for um, Australia versus the world? You know, they did a whole bunch of games and then they ended off with just a series of singles matches. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, if you have ten people, you could do a round robin of uh, five pairs games and then break it down to single uh, splits, split five round uh, singles, five round robin of two groups of five. Yeah, there's a lot of different ways you can do it. You could take out triples and pair, uh, triples and rinks. Yeah, get a few more games in there, and at least uh, change up playing the same people over and over. Yeah. 
I definitely want the games to be shorter if I could, because I found when I was streaming it in 2016, some of those games were like, no offense to people playing, but just so boring to watch when you know the game's <laughs> pretty much done after the first three ends and that you still yeah. have like 15 to go. Like, Are they, are they 18 in games still? Or is that what they're uh, I, th I think they were, but I don't remember if that's what I, they still yeah, had. I think they are, except for the yeah. fours. I think they'll fall in little bowls for the fours. They shorten them up. Yeah. I liked the idea someone raised last week of the one hour game or, or like a time limit game instead of ends. I thought yeah. that was interesting. I, I wish we could put shot clocks on uh, every rink. Yeah. If it was, if it was <laughs> I think it would speed up games big time. I'm with you on that one. <laughs> I think that's actually one of the biggest problems that we have in the game is just slow play. It's not yeah. it's not the game itself, it's not what's happening, shots being made, decisions being made that's boring. It's watching people stand over the head for an hour, go back to their uh, the mat for 20 minutes and then back up to the head and then back to the mat and then still not making a shot, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yes. a lot of debating about what to play. Wasn't it Jake? You guys put on a shot game? clock. Uh, how long would you want it to be? Thirty seconds. 30. Yeah, I think thirty seconds yeah. is pretty. Yeah. Uh, I'll still only use five of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Cam, you're a pretty slow player. So. <laughs> yeah, I was watching a game. I think with an uh, older game with I think it was with Ryan uh, Bester and someone in this one of the finals, and it was amazing. They finished like a 21 point game in like an hour, just over an hour. I mean, that's that's how it should be all the time. And I get there's different ages that are playing, but I don't think an 80 year old dude really has an issue with playing fast. I think it's just people who are super overly meticulous and do the same 30 second routine on the mat every time. And it's and if God forbid, God forbid if someone moves in the back of the head, they have to restart the whole routine over again. So. Yeah. Well, Jake, didn't you guys have a singles game at, at uh, Nationals last year that went over three hours? Well, it went to the, the, the time limit was two and a half, and so we hit the buzzer. Um, and yeah, that was like, I don't know if I should really say this too much, but the marker was like the slowest person in the world. So, like, <laughs> after our bulls are done, we go and kick all the bulls in, like, count them and everything, and he's only at like the first hog line. And so then you have to stand there and wait for him to like hobble down to the other end. So we just stood there and waited for like. I think I stood waiting more than I actually played that game, so that was just the most frustrating thing in the world. Uh, so, Jake, what do, you, what do you think about the, public, uh, the publicity of the NAC? Um, how has it been received? I know you've been at BCB promoting it and also on stream trying to stream it. Mm, well, that, that's tricky because it is kind of like a small event too, so when you say that you're hosting an international event, trying to strum up interest in like the city wherever it's being hosted, to be like, hey, big international event, but there's only like 40 athletes total. Like it's it's pretty small. So trying to get cities to actually like invest in it or get people to come out and watch it, like it's a pretty small event that way. Um, but yeah, streaming it's just tricky, um, especially because of like international borders. So. I remember when we tried to stream it in 2016, some of the Americans had concerns about like us broadcasting like their image and stuff without their consent. So we had to get them to like sign forms and stuff, but then some people didn't want to be streamed at all. So then it's just, then it gets into like tricky, like legal waters, which I don't really want to get into at all. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it, I feel like it could always be bigger for sure. Um, I'd, I'd like to think maybe we could invite a few more countries so it's not just Canada and USA in the future and that might you know grow the popularity to say it's I don't know if Mexico even has a Bulls League but you could say all of North America and not just Canada yeah. versus US but 
Yeah, I like that idea. It just get it open up to more countries. Although, if uh, if the issue previously of like the fast greens coming down to slower, depending on where you're playing, you get the same issue again. Well, that's like across Canada and the U.S. You get that no matter where. But we we could do a Southwest Ontario versus the rest of Canada and the rest of America. Like have four teams that way. <laughs> Since, since Ontario and Southwest have the bulk of the deal, that would be pretty interesting. And that'd be four different groups of teams. At least. It'd be interesting for sure. Yeah. I, I don't know who would go for it. There's Sometimes there's a little disdain for, for certain provinces or certain states and certain areas that, you know, uh, Glorifying one over the other saying, hey, we'll do Ontario versus someone else might not work that well. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking about NAC, guys, just for the the ones that have played there, I guess all of us have played there. What do you think the best uh, possible venue for an event like that is in Canada or the United States? Best, like, hypothetical possible or best, best realistic one? Probably realistic, I suppose. Okay. Yeah, I, I was in talks with trying hard. We have a new regime at Central Park and there's two greens. They're in talks with the Conservancy to try to redo the greens to make them actually really good. Uh, so my hypothetical one would be having it at Central Park. I think the uh, coverage for that, I think the publicity for that would be great. That sounds like a uh, cool it, place. It is. It's right in the heart of Central Park, and they get members every year just falling over the fence, just walking by. So wow. I think that would be that pretty well. But uh, in turn, I, I don't know. In terms of, uh, I would say Laguna Beach is probably the one of the most aesthetic and pretty decent greens in our country to do it on. Uh, I personally would love to see a uh, NAC, I don't know if any of you guys have ever played on it, on uh, Rubico in Florida. And you guys I've, heard of, I've, I've heard of it, and my grandma's played there. She loves it, though. Yeah. Well, if she had, like, clear water or... Uh, 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 yeah, clear water. I think she calls it clear water. But... Okay, yeah. Yeah, I was, I was down there this past March. It's a different... It's true... It doesn't destroy your bowls if you're there for a weekend. It does scratch them up a little bit, but uh, it's basically crushed gravel rock type of surface. But uh, it'd be interesting to see it on that as well. But um, in terms of Canada, I think Kitchener's an amazing spot, but you guys would know the best spots up there more than I would. Yeah, it's sometimes it's tough. Uh, Kitchener has good greens, but the clubhouse is a little janky. Uh, and then some clubs have great clubhouses and the greens are a little janky so <laughs> finding that right combination of a really nice spot with really good facilities and really good everything and the greens being good mm -hmm. yeah i would have liked to see what it would have been like at windsor i know don and his crew always are i've never been there but it's so they're seemingly doing a good job from everything i hear from don and people around that community so i think windsor actually would have been a really good spot yeah they were super excited about it this year i mean don was talking about it for two years now <laughs> he, he wanted it, and he, he wanted to open the greens for it, so. It would have been nice. Um, I know that they were really excited to do it, so I, they would have put even more effort and more time and, and more care into it and make sure it's a good event. So that would, that would, it, it was sad to see it not happen, but we'll see what happens, I guess, the next uh, iteration of it when it actually does come back. Now, does that club ask for any compensation? Because this thing got canceled, like all the money, like did they put? I guess they put a lot of work and effort into it, or is it something that they'll be they'll be holding the next one regardless? 
talk to the imagine, I would imagine no, but I mean, I'm, I'm not going to speak for Jake. I'll let him answer this one better, but I would imagine no, because most clubs are trying to improve their greens and whatnot anyways, right? So Yeah. I, I don't think they put a whole lot of money in that, like, they completely lost. Like, I'm thinking, like, sponsorship and, like, renting hotels and transportation, stuff like that. So I don't think they actually, like, lost a lot. I think what they've put in so far was mostly just on greens, which, like, you'd probably end up doing anyway. But if this were to happen in 2021 or 2022 or whenever it is, um, I can't say for sure, but I would imagine that it's going to go still stay with Windsor whenever we can have it. So then it's not like all that investment was lost. It's just sort of delayed till whenever yeah. we can have it, which at this point, honestly, I have no idea if we'll even be able to have it next year. It might be like two or three years before we can actually do that. Yeah, that's a good point. So for you guys, there's there's a question in here again, going back to time, uh, timing uh, people on the mat. But what do you think about something like a, like a chess clock? Uh, each athlete, say, has 40 minutes uh, for the full time. Kind of like, I guess, curling has a full time limit as well. Um, both clocks stop as the marker is moving and everybody's moving, and then the clock starts as soon as both teams are uh, at the starting blocks. What do you think? I mean, I don't disagree with that, but I mean, there could be. I, I guess I, I don't even know where I'm going with this, actually. So I'm just gonna pass. I thought I had have a couple of time out. off the rails as you go. But... A couple timeouts as you go as well. Yeah, well, especially late in the game, if it's if it's late in the game and you only got a minute left, then you want to chuck a ball that you wouldn't normally. Yeah. I think I'd like the idea better of just having like a thirty-second shot clock, because then whoever's running the clock doesn't need to like worry about start, <laughs> starting and stopping from team to team, because then you're going to start getting complaints of like, oh, you didn't start it on time for that team. They have an extra thirty seconds yeah. that they shouldn't have or whatever. So we also need a significant, significant amount more volunteers to try and work that clock. Like imagine like a provincial fours in Ontario where it's open and we have two rink or two greens full of teams playing you'd have to have so okay. many more people yeah the logistics for this sounds like it'd be a bit of a nightmare but i'm with jake i think just the 30 second clock would be a lot easier and it, it should be effective yes. what do you guys think about um i know um i don't know what it's like everywhere but i know here um once you hit metal rounds they eliminate the time clock what do you guys think about leaving a time clock on during metal rounds I, I'm I'm for leaving the metal the, the the time clock on. Leaving on. Yeah, I I think it should remain fluid throughout the whole event. It should it shouldn't be a special circumstances once it gets the metal rounds. I agree 100% with that. I've, I've always thought that was just the strangest thing, that once you get to the playoffs, that there's no time limits, because then that's when people start taking more time, because they're like, oh, I really want to win, and so they start overthinking, and then suddenly, instead of a two-hour game, you're at, like, three and a half. So, yeah, I, I would love to see time limits still in for metal rounds. Yeah, I guess I guess uh, that way, too, the umpires could be way more strict on people um, quite obviously wasting time because there's only so many games going on. So, yeah, I guess it really wouldn't be... There wouldn't be any reason not to leave a time limit on. Yeah. I know some people have complained, though, that, like, they end up losing by a point because, like, time ran out and so they didn't get to finish the last two ends, which, like, yeah, that sucks to not win gold or whatever because you ran out of time. So, like, yeah. I don't know. I feel like the whole concept of time limits just needs, like, you need the shot clock. Otherwise, someone's just going to be slow the and easy. I agree. The people yeah, that are going to lose are the people that are slowing the game down themselves. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you always get that accusation that someone could be milking the clock. If they're mm -hmm. holding a five-point lead with two to go or something like that, yeah, they, and you just don't want that stigma in there. Yeah, I mean, 
just like a lot of the rules that we have in bowls right now, uh, something like a time clock, it can be manipulated, right? For the needs of somebody, if, if they really think that way and think, oh, you know, I'm just gonna hold the jack for, you know, an extra 30 seconds and the person will never be able to actually play that last round, right? Yeah. Yeah, and you could totally take full advantage of like walking down to the head and taking your time at the head and walk slow up and down the green. Take every, an extra second every time you're on the mat, and you could definitely slow it down on purpose. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's, it's also for streaming, like when they're taking those walks down the head, taking a look, spending 10 minutes staring at the head. Those are like the when you lose the viewers, like even yeah. me, like interested in seeing the next shot. I'm like, I don't want to watch 10 minutes of you de deciding what to do. Right. Well, it'd be like listening to a radio show or even a podcast and it just goes dead silent for 10 minutes. It's the same yeah. thing, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> sure. Streaming is fair enough. Let people come down. Yeah. So for promotion of the game. We've got Jake here who has run a lot of the BCB streams and all that kind of stuff. Uh, we've been streaming just this show, but I know Luke and I have talked about trying to stream and promote other things like other events that we can go to, go out and do live interviews, whatever it is. And I know that I've talked to uh, Patrick uh, as well about doing some of that kind of stuff down in the States. So I'll throw this out to Jake first and then anybody can kind of chime in. How difficult is that? Streaming? Streaming oh, and that promotion and, and just actually yeah. setting up and getting ready to go. Man, so when we first, when I first started with Full Scan of Anyway, um, the tech that we rent from a company, I remember uh, you needed HDMI cables to get the cameras at each end. So <laughs> we had like 200 feet of HDMI cable to try and get it to reach the entire rink, which was just like tedious in and of itself. But then you also need power there and then God forbid it rains and then like all the tech needs to be covered to come inside or whatever. So like that was a process by itself. But then slowly now we're getting to like wireless cams and tech's improving and it's actually becoming affordable and stuff. But even with like advancements in tech, it's still so hard to get like decent angles because unless you can have an overhead cam, um, people always stand in front of the way. It doesn't matter what you're, you'd be playing singles and hands down the marker's gonna stand right in front of the camera. So um, <laughs> you, you need to have those overhead cams in order to make it like decent to look at at all. Cause I'm just thinking like as, as a commentator or as a spectator, like sitting on the side isn't even that great. Like you wanna be like right behind the head so you can actually see like the track of the bull coming down and stuff. So I, I don't know, I feel like it's almost impossible to really stream well unless you're at the PIVC or some sort of indoor where you can be overhead or have like a boom cam, I guess. But then also going back to like shorter games, I, I love the UBC because it's like half an hour tops. So like you can tune in for half an hour, you know how long that's gonna be. Tune in, watch for half an hour and you're done. Whereas like, yeah, two and a half hour games, like I'd, I'm a bowler and I don't even wanna sit down and watch that. Yeah. I think Edmonton, you guys had the staging set up. Yeah, every year we try to get like um, scaffolding and try to get cameras on top of it so you can see over people. But um, as soon as the jacks in the ditch are in the last like two feet, like then it just sort of doesn't really work either. So there's yeah. there's pros and cons with that too. I remember I think that two hours for you guys. Thank yeah, you. I remember you were you were turning into the rock lobster again. I was just turning red. I think a good way to do it would um, sort of be how I've seen a few things done in Australia and you have uh, just like even if it's just like an iPhone or some sort of phone on a gimbal and like they can almost walk up and down the green. I know that's uh, like bearing there's a Wi-Fi connection because I know how much bandwidth it takes to stream. But 
and I guess that would be kind of hard for commentator reason unless there's some way you can like relay a feed somewhere. But I think that'd be almost the best way to do it because if you could get the teams to agree, you could stand right behind the head or walk up and down the green when they switch ends. And I think that would probably be the most affordable and easiest way to do it. We just got a gimbal last year that I was slowly trying to use at Burlington and I just didn't like my phone at all and we just shut off every time like I get to use it so um yeah i think that's probably the best way to go about it. and even some of the phones out there like the iphone that i have i bought the new one this year and it can record in 60 frames per second and in 4k which is better than most people's tv or computers they're going to watch it on anyway so like the yeah. quality would be immaculate mm-hmm. yeah i know broadreach has used one before their, their biggest issue is keeping the phones alive mm-hmm. oh the battery power yeah yeah yeah, but then again, you could just invest in like a, a cheap Mophie thing and plug it in yeah. and have it in That's your pocket with a long cable. Yeah. So Patrick had, uh, what is it? Is it the COVID battle? Uh, the COVID classic? The COVID classic, oh, or yeah. what was it? Yeah, probably one of our best not really known by the younger generation Lumbles in the country, Dickie Sayer. Yeah. Uh, he's been playing, he's only 50, but he's probably been playing about 40-something years. And uh, we tried, and we thought it went well. I think people that saw it during the live stream said it was pretty decent, but when he did it on playback, it was very choppy. Um, we, did via, we did it via the iPhone. We had a battery pack, and I brought my hotspot because where we played was sort of in the middle of nowhere in the Poconos in Pennsylvania. So um, Wi-Fi was very sketchy, uh, but the hotspot made everything go through. It was definitely a learning process. The young lady who was filming isn't a lawn bowler, so she was standing... We didn't realize it while we were playing, but after the fact, we saw she was standing like 15, 20 feet behind the head every time. So the glare of the sun, you couldn't tell uh, Dickie's bowls from my bowls. Uh, but yeah, it was something that we were trying to promote uh, in the U.S. and even in Canada, uh, that during this time, especially at that time, the four months where there's no other sports going on, if we just got a couple of cool live stream matches of prominent players, um, then maybe we could start a following. Uh, I think a couple of people did it in California. Uh, but it was, it was something we were trying to do more as a division and something that I even brought up in Bulls USA and, and, the, the, and the nation national meetings is that we're so far behind in terms of technology with we should be streaming matches from the championships like you guys did an amazing job uh, at, your, at your provincials, at your championships. Uh, it was very, I enjoyed watching it. I got it clearly in, in, in New York from wherever you guys were filming it from. And... Um, like I feel like America is so far behind with that, where we should have this buy this equipment, move it from division to division at at their playdowns or whatever their prominent tournaments are, and just try to stream as much as we can and try to get and get a following. I mean, it sucks when you're uh, at home and you're watching cornhole on ESPN and you're like, how the hell is Wumble not getting not getting a shot? <laughs> and, I mean, I swear it was on at least one or two hours a day on ESPN, and I'm like, this blows my mind every time I see it. I mean, it's. Pretty cool what they do, but I'm like, if they're on there, why can't Lone Bowling be on there? And then, uh, at least in America, NBC Sports has, um, I think every Thursday night, they were doing curling every Thursday night. It was like curling in America. So it's you see all these sports that are somewhat sort of similar, niche sports, and you're just sort of hoping that at some point, Lone Bowling will get their chance to be on a national broadcast like that, at least in Canada or America. 
it's funny that you bring that up, Patrick. Uh, the whole the whole cornhole thing is kind of funny. I, I I don't watch Sports Center, but I see the clips on Instagram or whatever, and it's like, how how is this a thing? Like, I don't understand. This isn't exciting at all. And then you see how much um, the Nick Brett clip blew up in lawn bowling, and it's like shots maybe not quite to that caliber, but shots similar happen all the time. It's like if there was more video yeah. and more film, maybe we would be there. And like I realize, like you said, uh, it costs money. Like Daryl and I have almost talked about rebranding the Canadian Bowler podcast to a media company sort of thing but just the the initial investment for us to to buy all the streaming stuff and the cameras is so so it's so crazy right so I can completely understand why it's not there but I think if the effort was put in by somebody or multiple groups of people there's definitely an opportunity down the line it's it's tricky though because when you look at like cornhole for example like everybody can at least like hit the box or whatever it is but then when you look at lawn bowls like i remember like streaming so many games where like the closest bowl is 20 feet away and so like what do you even like i don't want to watch that how do you commentate on that so like when there's just bad players with bad games like yeah it's tough yeah, yeah. or the conditions because you know if it, like we when they were in california for the nac the, the rain that you can't exactly stream that you're being pulled off of the, the rink all the time so I guess another thing is too like I understand lawn bowling to us is not super difficult to understand but cornhole so easy like you're just trying to hit a thing and hit it in a hole where the average or maybe not the average but the odd person might tune into lawn bowling and be like I have no idea what I'm watching I don't know what they're trying to do this guy's throwing a cannon and this guy's 40 feet short I don't understand what's going on here <laughs> and someone's wasting the ball in the tee <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I get like it's not exciting, right? So I, I people might not know what's going on. I can agree. Uh, I mean, cornhole. If you've ever been to a tailgate party anywhere, uh, somebody's playing cornhole somewhere. Yeah. Right. You see it all the time. People just get out there. You can play it um, anywhere. You just pull it out of your trunk, throw throw down a couple, a uh, couple of those blocks, and throw some beanbags, right? I, I like the idea of you saying like if you you and Luke were thinking about doing streaming on this, uh, if you even if you just stream like the the finals in a tournament even, so yeah. something like the final games in Woba or what other big any other big event recently. We try to stream sort of uh, fun games here, but it's not like it's just like on our my Facebook or whoever's Facebook that has the phone available. Whoever's not playing basically will just walk up and down the greens with the players. We had some something similar brought up on the last episode. We're talking about basically having um, some sort of Legends game go down at Woba and have yeah. the Canadian Bowler stream that. If you haven't watched that, guys, make sure you click click somewhere and Daryl have yeah, it linked. But uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, something like that. It'd be, it'd be neat for sure. Yeah, I watched that one. I thought that was a neat idea. Yeah, there's we have a lot of ideas for this whole production, this all the shows, the stuff that we have is just getting out of our offices is yeah. is very difficult and then finding places to actually do streaming we want to do we have a list of videos we want to do a list of ideas events we want to go to but that just can't happen right now yeah, it's kind of funny. We've uh, just just uh, trying to toot our own horn here. We've had so many meetings of me and Daryl just spitballing ideas, and we've brought Jake in, and, and we've talked to Jake about certain ideas that we want to have going on, and we have Mike Patuli, who uh, isn't here tonight, but we have him sort of on our team of just people that can help us bring ideas to life, and we have so much stuff that's ready to go. It's just it's going to be who God knows how long before we can actually go film stuff. So, uh, for, for Patrick's, uh, I wanted to ask him how how difficult was it to actually set up that whole streaming production 
regardless of how limited uh, the stuff that you had was. Hello. Oh, is he muted? I think so. Thank you. Yeah, he's good as my Did you mute too. yourself? <laughs> yeah, it's not that bad. <laughs> um, yeah, in actuality, it wasn't that hard. I mean, I, I would like to do it at a bigger scale next time. Maybe uh, one of our friends in our division has cameras and try to actually have fixed cameras. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, to do it, especially in, a, in more of a bigger city, it should be much easier. But, um, yeah, all in all, it wasn't that bad. It, like, um, I think Luke suggested uh, having the person walk back and forth with the iPhone. The only detriment to that was we weren't able to see anybody commenting, well, I guess, while uh, they were, the, we were playing. So I wanted to make it a little bit more interactive. Right. Um, but it was our first foray into it, and it was something we, we learned a lot from it, and we're hoping to do it again. Uh, but yeah, it's it's something that I, I hope becomes more prevalent, and like I think we all said, it says hopefully it's as good games that are being filmed and not twenty foot bulls from the and things like that. Where yeah. exactly that's always the the gamble, right? That the, the stream that you actually yeah, choose to put on could be frightening. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'll just make sure I'm behind the camera so we don't have to stream my games. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we had a. Um, I was just going to say we have something from from chat here uh, saying commentary is important, and I think yeah, that's yeah. actually very very true. Uh, one of the best games that I watched. Uh, it was a Ryan Bester game, and the the reason why it was so good was that they had Ryan Burnett and Kevin Anderson, two of his buddies, <laughs> Scottish guys from the UK. Uh, Comment, uh, commentating on the game and they were ridiculously hilarious just ripping into people ripping into shots uh, I think they even they even named a, a burger after Bester based on one of the uh, comments they made they call him Big Belly Bester because you could see his belly a little bit on the screen and they made the, the Big Belly Bester burger at the club but it was it was so entertaining I didn't even care about the bulls I was listening to them go and it was just Awesome. It was just amazing. Yeah, I would say in most sports, where even if you do love it, you can watch it probably pretty much any way it's done, but the commentators definitely sell a sport to people who are just watching something for the first time. They're, they're, they're immensely huge. Yeah, I know. Um, I'll speak for myself. I don't know. Maybe Daryl, and maybe, I don't know, maybe Mike can touch on this one. It's like I know um, it's a completely different ball game, but um, for people who know what esports are, it's like professional video games. And I, I, me and a couple of my buddies, we watch it pretty regularly. And I've watched tons of games where there's no commentators, and I can't stand it. The games with the commentators make it so much better. And, like, they tell you what's going on, and it's just so much easier to watch rather than just trying to figure it out on your own. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is a big part of it. Like, if, if the commentators get excited over big shots, it, it gets you more involved into it. Absolutely. It's, it's also fun when they occasionally chirp the players. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> that's that's one of my favorite parts. <laughs> it, it's good when they know the players, they know what's going yeah. on, and they have that rapport where that you can actually throw a few jabs in there and you know that the person isn't going to be offended. It, it just makes yeah. it that much better, right? Um, I was going to actually ask Jake, commentating on stream uh how difficult has that been for you 
It when, I'm not gonna lie, when I first started, I actually loved it because it was cool to play with the new tech. Because like I'd never done streaming, so new tech was fun. But now, after doing it for three or four years, like I hate it. It's the worst part of the job. So when when you're setting up in the booth, um, you want to be close. You can see what's going on, but then players can hear what you're saying. And when like I'm not gonna claim that I'm a good bowler by any means, but when I see someone playing a really stupid shot and I say that was a really stupid shot and they hear you then like you just get dirty looks the whole game and it's just awkward um and it's also hard to be like unbiased so i remember three years ago uh daryl when you and i were commentating out in wanda fuca in victoria uh i'm not gonna say which teams but one team clearly came from like a seven second green and was not used to the like 14 second green speed and so every bull they threw for the first five ends went in the ditch but they happened to grab the jack every time and killed the first five ends just like accidentally so like how do you comment like commentate on that game at all and be remotely like fair or like unbiased like it's just so hard to to not piss people off because like a lot of people back home are watching so whether they're in like pei or new brunswick or like bc like you know that they've got a following at home so you don't really want to piss them off but at the same time like yeah it's it's hard it's it's a skill that i i don't have to be honest i guess if you look at that um from another perspective jake as you see those shows that they have on i don't even know what they have now but like back in the day you'd watch hockey and they'd have satellite hot stove and then you always have guys who are kind of just like kind of being a little bit of a dick just to try and like build a storyline so like mm -hmm. it's not necessarily like i realize people might take it the wrong way but it might not always be the worst thing to like kind of be a dick i guess is the best way to say it <laughs> Get it, getting that like co-host feedback too is hard because I know the first few years when I would just get like any volunteer to like co-commentate, you ask them a question, they're just like, yep, and that's it. You're like, you need that banter back and forth, but getting people to actually talk is hard too because a lot of people don't, I don't want to say they're shy, but like they don't know how to talk. They're, just not, they're not familiar with it, right? Like, yeah. Like I've done commentary, I think once. I just, I same, I despised it. I just, I can't, can't think of what to say. Because mm -hmm. if the game is not going the right way, you're like, well, how do you comment on this? It's tough, man. Like, you basically have to, like, learn how to talk to yourself, even though there's somebody beside you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Especially when, when everyone plays, like, a, a different game style. Like, what, mm -hmm. what you would play is not always what, what's going to happen. Yeah. Or when they take three minutes to walk down to the head, like, what do you say during those three minutes? Like, the head hasn't changed, nothing's changed. That, yeah. Jake, that's when we need sponsors so we can have ad reads during the walk up and down the green. This, this three-minute delay brought to you by... Yeah, and then think about it. If we get the three-minute delay brought to you by Patrick Duffy, and then we can have our bowlers go to NAC for longer and play more games. Uh, yeah. Jake, Jake did have that for a little while. He, uh, he filled in some spots with a few sponsors, or um, sponsors of BCB, anyway. I remember that, and it was it was very key to actually filling some dead air where neither him nor I wanted to say anything. It was just we're sitting there like, what do I? Yeah, like that game. It's like, what do I say about that? Like, I don't want to offend anybody because we're trying to attract people from whatever province it is. And mm -hmm. if I rip a bowler or I rip one of the bowlers and say, like that shouldn't have happened or this shot was terrible or that was just complete fluke, um, yeah, what's gonna happen to Jake or myself? I just think you have to be very poetic with your language. And instead yeah. of saying this was, that was a lucky bullshit shot, you can just say it was a fortuitous hit or something <laughs> like that. Because, I mean, we've all experienced where the guy completely misses his line by 10 feet, hits a ball that's 15 feet out, and goes right to the jack. And especially when they play it off like they, that's what they were trying to do, and you're like, you knew damn well that wasn't what they were trying to do. 
But yeah, yeah, when you you don't want to outright say what a lucky nonsensical shot, so I guess you have to sort of coax it and make it look prettier, I guess. We'll have to have like a next time we do one, we'll have to have like a wick counter in the top left corner. <laughs> 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 like that. that would be fantastic. <laughs> and we'll get DJ Khaled another one. Another <laughs> one. <laughs> well, hey Jake, you you might actually have uh, your first. Or I don't know if it's your first, but a pretty good U.S. commentator in uh, Patrick. If if we do the NAC. Yeah, I'm ready to go. If I'm not playing, I'll I'll wear a mic the whole time. (laughs) You might have to you might have to have like a seven second delay on me, but yeah. Yeah, Yeah, you can mic up the players. Mic mic me up during a game. That's that's actually a good point. Do you you guys ever mic anyone up for the BCB events? We we don't have so the tech that we get doesn't come with a wireless mic. So if we had the tech, maybe. But then that's also risky because like. Yeah, Do you don't really know, know what the players. Yeah, exactly. Like, and like, even if you tell somebody not to to say cuss words or swear or whatever, it's so like, I mean, it's almost like how people speak nowadays. So like, yeah. it's just so easy to accidentally say it, even if somebody tells you not to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially when you you lose yourself in the focus of the game too. I I played Kong games, and everywhere I went, and when we were playing the C four game, there's a there's a microphone. I just wasn't used to it. Yeah. Like, they even asked me, I'm back there talking to Dale as a coach, and like they're pointing at the microphone right by us, and I'm like, got all about it. Whoops. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, you don't you don't want to mic us up during the Fours game, because I'm sure Luke is turning around, it's like, that Daryl, what the hell is he thinking? I, I, and dropping some bombs in there as well. Yeah, Daryl, just come down here, nice easy draw, he's in the ditch, I'm like, oh, and what the fuck is Daryl doing? <laughs> <laughs> And Daryl's thinking if you had to do it, if you did it, I didn't have to. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> yeah. No, I'm done at the other end. I'm like, I know exactly what Luke is saying right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, uh, Mike, what's been the, the toughest part of moving over, I, I guess, in terms of Bulls, moving from Ontario over to the West Coast? Uh, I'd say just the competition. Like the the number of events that I can play in here is is a lot less without travel. So, uh, I mean, I can always go anywhere else in the states and play. But within the Bay Area, there's there's not as many competitive events throughout the year. Yeah. So, like I said, I'm probably playing less tournaments per year, even though the season is longer. I'm just playing the more spread out. Daryl, what the hell is? He? <laughs> I, I tell a lot of my Northeast friends, especially the while uh, I. Convinced a few to go to the Southeast Open and the South Central Open, where of course you guys know there are a ton of Canadian snowbirds down there. Um, And and I try to get people to go up to Woba as well. And I said the beautiful thing about any of those three things, especially where the Canadians are involved, is um, even the quote unquote average Canadian club bowler is still pretty. On, on normally, from all my experiences, are still hell of bowlers. Mm -hmm. So if you go to those events, you're not getting a you know that quote-unquote easy game um so i, I sort of feel what mike is saying because i think in the bay area we got like rossmore and golden gate and um yeah and places like that uh it's 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 not it's 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 a high level but it's not that consistent high level like that i've experienced yeah. in places i played in canada 
Yeah, like there's some really, really competitive good players in the area here, but there's there's such a wide range of yeah. between there. There's not the the average is, is a lot lower than what Canada is, I think. And another, and, sorry. No, I was just saying like it's just, like a little bit lower in the in the tournaments. Like as a whole, Canada has the same wide breadth of like you know super competitive and super social. But I think yeah. there's a a bigger middle ground in the Canadian tournament events than there are uh, in the Bay Area. Yeah, yeah. Another huge difference I've seen in all my travels with back and forth all over is the average Canadian bowler or the average club bowler in Canada the knowledge of the game especially head reading and shot calling is usually a lot higher than the average club USA bowler um, when you get the team USA guys and girls their knowledge is up there great but sometimes like it's so hard to play against a like some of my northeast colleagues you just you, you have no clue on how to play against them because their shot selection is so all over the place. It's not, it's not that they think outside the box, but not necessarily in a good way. So it's almost hard to defend. But the average Canadian bowler, that you, you can sort of see what they're trying to build. And they know to protect the back. It, it's, it's hard to – so that it's weird. Like a lot of the newer bowls that I've seen, like the, the, the head reading is just so not what it was from you guys and myself. And I'm not sure that's something that comes in time or something that we're failing teaching the newer bowlers. But uh, yeah, there's very rarely ever an easy game against a Canadian bowler, which 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 is something that I like a lot when I play against uh, Canadians. I'm I'm curious, uh, selfishly as a as a coach up here in Canada, what's the coaching like down in in the states? Uh, we do have a co we do have a coaching program. Uh, people are certified. Uh, I'm certified. There's probably like five or six people. They actually did a good job. Um, the head coaches in America went to each division and trained and certified in every division. So basically, nice. I would say almost every division has six or seven certified ones. Um, I, I don't follow it to a T, uh, but what they teach is pretty good. Um, so they, they try. So we have basically almost every club has their own. Uh, the two clubs out in the Poconos, I usually go out there and give clinics. Uh, but um, Central Park has one. A couple, New Jer uh, the one in New Jersey has... And uh, it definitely helps when uh, they're doing their open houses uh, to help ease people into the game. And uh, it's funny, for a sport that the object is so easy, it's so hard to execute. And, <laughs> yeah. and it's so hard when you're teaching new people the first time to actually bowl out and let it curve back in. Everyone's always aiming right forward at first. Uh, but um, but no, the, the coaching's pretty decent. I know they have... A, class or a two or three day thing every time after the south central open that i think anybody can go for 50 bucks to teach about head reading and shot selection and drills and things like that um but yeah it's it's, it's pretty decent but the logistics in america it's just it was so spread out and each division has such different time frames for the season sort of like i think you guys are sort of the same up in canada uh, um but you guys have a much shorter season because of the weather with you you guys were basically may to like septemberish for you know, local the country give, give yeah, or take late, it depends on the country yeah may is getting iffy yeah it's yeah. like for, i know for here um in peterborough i think our first tournament's like the end of may and then the last tournament's like around thanksgiving because i know they give out turkeys so i think it's somewhere around thanksgiving <laughs> Whatever. And you guys also have like five or six qualifiers, right, for championships. Like, so like half your seasons qualifies if you if you so choose to be in them. <laughs> yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. true. Very They're true. a little bit less now. I guess this year they were slightly less because they did open provincials in Ontario. 
Okay. So they would have been there would have been I guess less than normal. What's the qualifying process like in in the states for getting to the nationals? It's you know it's been discussed as of right now and what it has been forever um, is each division there are seven divisions and like you're Ontario Southwest has two teams sheerly because of the numbers I say we have four thousand bowlers I think Southwest has. 2,000 of them easily. Okay. Um, so they get the two teams. Uh, what is sort of unfair, and it's happening more and more often, and I guess some of your smaller pr provinces might be able to um, have, have the same issue, is we're getting a lot of walk-ins. So the playdowns, we have singles and pairs, men's and women. Uh, like our Northeast, the men's pairs, we maybe average five or six teams uh, to play, and then the winner goes to the championships. Where it's sort of not fair, I'll say even worse for our women. We've actually had probably two or three years in the last five where we only had one team apply, so they got to walk in right to the championships. Wow. And that's more, it's way, way, way more unfortunately prevalent on the women's side in uh, the Northeast and in the Central Division. But um, it's sort of not fair that, you know, yeah, they applied, they made it, but then you hear about the Southwest where the men's pairs or men's singles has like 26, 32 entries. So they basically have to have their own championship to even get into the championship. And they're playing against teams that basically walked in in some divisions. So it's something I think they need to reevaluate and maybe let, like, like I was talking to, you guys know Bill Brault, I presume? Some of you guys know Bill Brault? Yep, yep, yep. Um, like Bill and I were talking, saying we would love to have, like, a, uh, a championship where I could play with a Bill Brault and we can all it'd be like sort of like an open championship in a way not necessarily by division. And that way it would be more, it'd be truer. I, I, I always, I, that's my big thing. They were talking about um, how people can, they, like if, someone, if nobody enters, uh, as of right now, it happened this past year, nobody entered for the women's singles. And, but yet, so say the deadline passed, no one entered for the date. Then like a month later, a, a lady in the center goes, oh, you know what, I'm free, I'm open, I can go. Oh, we can nominate her to go now. I'm like, no, you shouldn't be able to nominate someone yeah. to go to the championships. They should at least have to uh, put their entry in before the, the deadline. Yeah. yeah. I said, to me, it's just an insult to the other divisions that actually had to earn, people had to earn their way there. So it's, it's a, becoming a little bit of an issue, and I think it's a little archaic to do it via the divisions anymore because the divisions are so... So many of them are way smaller. The Northwest is pretty small. South Central is pretty small once you take away all the snowbirds. Uh, Central is pretty small. We, we average around 200 players, uh, members a year. Would even have those 200, maybe maybe 30 of them would even think about doing the playdowns yeah. uh, between the men and the women. So I don't know. I think something needs to change about it. Uh, I'm sure there are different uh, ideas about it, but it's something I think in the near future it's going to be forced to. So I think you're going to have a lot more vacant spots from divisions from the four different qualifiers so yeah if, if we're changing the u.s system while we're at it can we open it up to non-citizens <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 that would help we have a few a few non-citizens in our division that are actually pre pretty amazing a couple yeah of basically most of the guys i play with in this area are non-citizens so they can't actually play in the nationals so yeah um that's actually interesting to, to hear what what you said because I could probably take that conversation and apply it directly to Ontario. I could probably take that conversation and apply it directly to Canada as well, as far as the provin uh, provinces go. Because there's Ontario, there's BC, mm -hmm. 
and uh, then as you start going east and until you hit New Brunswick and PEI, it starts to dwindle, right? Yeah, as I say, your PEIs and New Brunswick's are pretty small, yeah. And then Nova Scotia's got CAM, so I mean, they're fine. <laughs> well, and, and Daryl, just touching on that, I seen in the chat, uh, Chris Dodd shout out. He said the Southwest Division is such a tough qualifier in the states, and I completely get that. Like here in Ontario, I've played for oh god, I don't even know how many years. It feels like forever now, and I've never even made it through a provincials in Ontario. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I'm a terrible player. So, I mean, like, it is kind of wild how, uh, like, I've always thought to myself, like, oh, if I just move to another province, maybe I'll have a better shot. But, I mean, I guess that's not quite always the right take. But uh, it, it is crazy just how much, like, not even uh, necessarily based on, um, like, skill-wise. It's just straight numbers and how many games you have yeah. to win. It just makes it so much more difficult, right? Oh, yes, exactly. Like, yeah. the, me and C. Bazanson talk here. Like, Bazanson and Augie run Nova Scotia forever. We talk is like, how do we get better? Because we're sitting at the top, and there's just no one to play. Like I can play singles against him for for months, and th- there's just no one else around. Yep. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a it's an interesting quandary, which uh, I'm not sure how. Because even if you get these new Ebola's in, a lot of the people don't really care about playing in the playdowns or, or the qualifiers uh, to go to the championships. They're just cool with just playing within a division. Um, there's no real incentive. Um, I know, in, at least in our division, I'm not sure how you guys do up there. Uh, we get money from Bulls USA, which usually averages like 250, and then we run 50/50s throughout our tournament season. So usually, each of the six players get the 250 from the Bulls USA, and approximately around 300-ish from our division. So they get 550 dollars to go, which sort of cuts some of the costs out. But um, when you go to the rodeo a couple different times, it sort of loses its luster. But you did have, we actually had one uh, very prominent boy moved from Southwest to our division. He actually was from our division, back to our division, and he thought he would have a cakewalk to qualify in the singles. And um, we had the playdowns. I missed it because I was playing for Team USA in uh, Scotland at the time, so I missed these singles playdowns. He didn't even make the final four, and he's a, he's probably one of our best. I'd say easily in the top ten in the country on the men's side. And uh, so yeah, people have tried to do it. Uh, there was a great story back in the day when there were a lot more bowlers. Um, it used to be you had to qualify out of your club to get to your division's playdowns. Yeah. And so. The club where my, uh, my dad, he belonged to two, one in New Jersey and one in Brooklyn was still around. And the one in New Jersey had a lot of the big famous names. You guys probably heard of Skippy Arcully, like the only American to ever win a gold for, in World Bowls. Um, he was, it was a very prominent club. So one of the prominent bowlers decided to join the Brooklyn club that had about 10 members left in there. And my dad heard about it. And he's like, you know, I'm gonna enter out of Brooklyn. So this guy drove all the way to Brooklyn to play and played my dad. My dad beat him. He walked up the green, didn't even shake his hand in his left. <laughs> he shot his shot because he said, like, you know, what? I'll qualify to Brooklyn and I'll miss all the, the big names in my home club. Yeah. So people have tried to do it, but you are taking a big chance of even making yourself look like a fool. Or... We, we've had that debate here in Canada as well. Uh, Ontario had that problem where we, we'd break up into districts and we had 16 districts. Um, yeah. And some were really strong because they were in very tight groups of clubs. And then there was other ones that had maybe one or two clubs or whatever it is. And people would 
sneak into another uh, area, just uh, what we called parachuting in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to do something like that. Now, whether they did it because they wanted to play with someone or they did it strategically, that's mm -hmm. up for debate. But uh, that has been a, a hot topic for debate for for a while. So anyway, you, you guys still you guys still do that, or is that is that different now? This year would have been the first year that that wouldn't have happened, just okay. because all of our provincials were open. All right, you did say yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, Jake, does this sound like any of the problems that we're having in Canada? <laughs> well, I feel like you could probably say the same for almost every country too, like outside of Australia, um, like most countries actually have like similar problems. And so um, I know that Dan and I have actually talked to like several other goals countries and it's, it's the same, whether you're talking to like New Zealand or Wales or like anywhere else, like it's, it, I feel like that's a bulls problem, not just a like country specific problem. Yeah. yeah. Seems all right. All right, guys. Uh, I wanted to throw one thing out there, and I wanted to get your opinion on it. I talked about this in my solo chat uh, for the Canadian Bowler Show, and I didn't really get to finish because uh, the stream crapped out on me. Sorry for anybody that was watching, it just kind of tanked. I wanted to say that a lot of information came my way that people still thought that you could hide a bad player inside of a team. So you have a bad player, and in fours, I always heard you're hiding him at second. Or in a, in a triples, maybe maybe you hide him as a vice, and the skip will clean it up, and the lead will, will take it out, whatever it is. If you're... I want to throw it out there, and this is going to be my statement. If you're trying to hide a player because of their weaknesses instead of throwing them in the right spot because of their strength, you're not only building your team poorly you're gonna do poorly and you're a poor team manager I, i'm with you on that <laughs> i think uh, i got a pretty simple i think i got a pretty simple answer for this one daryl like i get it i've heard i've heard it for years you hide the weakest player in whatever position but i think the simple answer is you're only as good as your weakest link right so i mean just building a team of players who are good at certain spots is really all you need to do and that completely eliminates how even having to hide your weakest player if maybe if your weakest player is incredible at throwing jacks but maybe isn't locking them on maybe their their biggest thing that they can do is place the jack where your second third and fourth are going to hammer it every single time yeah. so just just something like that i think uh i don't think it's super i don't think you need to hide your weakest player i think if you're building your team right then it doesn't really matter yeah if you were hiding hiding someone you, you might have an issue with, with your yeah. team <laughs> yeah yeah i didn't i didn't get to see the whole the, the talk you did daryl but uh I'm, I'm with you on that like it's you shouldn't be hiding you should just be whatever their strength is now, are these teams that we um, chose to put together, or is this like a national team thing where uh, a national team type player is struggling? I've seen it everywhere, but okay. I've also... The the talk that I got where it was like, well, you know, we've got, we've got a weaker player or someone's got a weaker player is more in my club province that I've, I've heard mm -hmm. it more from people because I talk to them mm -hmm. more, but I've seen it everywhere. I would say in each case, that person or the team leader or like the usually the skip is nominated as the team captain. Sort of, both cases you're just being a dick. I think it's just a bigger <laughs> level. If it's a team that you put together, then you you shouldn't be. It. I don't want. I don't want to be super gooey with positive reinforcement, but you should know how to talk to your teammates, and help incentivize them. Um, 
at least the way I always think about it, if my teammate's struggling, I know they're not trying to throw the game. I know they're trying. Um, so it's just different methodologies of how do you talk to them or try to maybe, like um, I was playing in a Southeast uh, Opens Pairs final, and my teammate, who was a pretty cool guy, newer bowler, a really good bowler, um, he was struggling a little bit in the game. The, the lead that we were playing against, and this guy was just amazing throughout the whole go goddamn game. It was like a 14 minute game, and he had, so what is that, 14 times 4, 20, 56 bowls? He probably had probably 50 of his 56 bowls within the foot of the jack. It was just, it was just insane. So my, my, my partner was struggling the first couple of ends. So he was just bowling so close to the head, the other lead, after the third end, I was like, you know what? And we, we, would, we would, I saved uh, like a six to a one and like a four to a one. So we were only down two nothing at the two. It was the third end. And I said, you know what? Have at it. Just do a drive. You know, I didn't keep making, you know, forcing him to draw. I, it was a fat target. And he got that frustration out. He actually connected on the drive. And I think it settled him down. So I think it's all about, and you should know your teammates' quirks and picadillos. Like, you should, you should understand what it is. What I can say to Daryl uh, might not work if I talk to Cam. So you have to know who you're talking to. I mean, I could jokingly curse at Cam, and I can get him back into the game where um, someone else, you have to be a little bit more polite and, and, and coerce it a little more. I'm, so I'm more sensitive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't want you welcome your feels. But yeah, yeah. But, it's, uh, but yeah, my thing is I always know my teammates are trying. Uh, so I, I empathize with that. I, I think we've all had that experience where we could play one game and we're like almost godlike, and then the next game it looks like we've never touched a ball in our lives. So we've all gone through that point of struggling and um, so you have to sort of always remember that that happens. And uh, yeah, yeah, I think it's just how you talk to your teammates, how you react to them, you have to know who they are, know their personalities, and know what helps them alleviate some stress. Um, and I think that's a big part of it. The, the ego is a big part, too. I mean, you, you try to hope that teammates don't have huge ego. Uh, confidence is fine, but not, I, I'm not a big fan of cockiness. Cam's out of it then, then. Yeah, that's what I was just about to say. <laughs> the craziest thing about the whole argument of hiding the worst player is, like, if I think somebody is so bad that I have to hide them on my team, why the hell am I playing with them anyways? Yeah, exactly. Like if, I'm, if I'm trying to win and I'm trying to build a team that I think is the best team, and mm -hmm. I like just to throw it out there, say I have Daryl on my team, no offense, Daryl, <laughs> and I say I have to hide Daryl at this position, why don't I just replace him with somebody else who I don't think I have to hide anywhere? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, people have been trying to hide Dell for years. I know. It hasn't worked yet. <laughs> well, guys, we're coming up to over an hour. We've had some great conversations. I really, really uh, enjoyed talking to every single one of you. Uh, your opinions have been awesome, for one. Um, I just want to say thank you for your time, thank you for your opinions, thank you for being part of the show and for helping us make this show possible. I'll throw it out to any of you. Is there anything you wanted to shout out, anything you wanted to say, anything you wanted to, to ask? I just want to say thank you for inviting me onto this and if you ever need someone again, I enjoyed it. It's cool talking to uh, actually a bunch of younger bowlers that are younger than me for once, so that's pretty cool. But, um, <laughs> uh, but uh, no, it's definitely very cool. Keep up the great work. Thank yeah, you. and uh, thanks for having me back on, guys. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I'm just happy to be here. 
Nice one. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, 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 the format of this, I think, is, is really nice. Just the like forum, and I like the hot take every every week. We try. We try to come up with something. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure there's plenty of controversial things in bowls. Different opinions. How much trouble we want to get in, I guess. Yeah. Well, it's just varying opinions, right? I'd like to stay in the national team. Yeah. <laughs> it is part of the show. The whole the whole idea um, when the Canadian Bowler After Dark was birthed was literally just to have sort of a show that's like okay with going off the rails and be a little bit more um, a little bit more offside than a regular show or some things you might hear in like mainstream Bulls media, if you will. So uh, yeah, again, I just appreciate all you guys coming on and uh, helping us uh, pump this program out and. Uh, helping the canadian bowler media machine keep on moving so thanks a lot guys appreciate it and i love cheers. that you stuck with the with the old man corner and sticking patrick down in the left corner because <laughs> last time you were believe it or not i thought when i was starting to round out the the group of people i was gonna have to shift myself down to the bottom corner but <laughs> no, we maintained it I'm, I'm hiding my gray as well so we'll have to get we'll have to get don caswell on next week so we can put him down there oh, he'll take up the whole show I know I won't have to talk. It'll be great. Oh, man. I had Don. a pretty, I had a pretty epic game against Don in uh, the Open in Arizona. He was, he was, I forgot who he was playing with. He was leading the whole game, and we were nipping back and forth trying to get back to somewhere close. We were down four coming home, and um, we actually got a five to win the game. And I didn't have to play my last bowl, and and that was Don. Don actually played pretty damn amazing. He just missed a couple of shots in that last end. But Don, Don's a pretty cool guy. It was, he's a, I've played against him a bunch of different times. That'll, that'll go right to his head if he does I know. <laughs> you just ruined it. <laughs> <laughs> and what what was the most embarrassing, or not embarrassing, shocking loss, that like, you, like you, a head-scratching loss that happened to you guys? Uh, I'll speak for Daryl and myself. Uh, last year. And mm -hmm. in, uh, in the provincials, we had an absolute wicked run. We had the worst first day of all time. Mm -hmm. And then the second day, we're like, okay, we're done. But let's just go out here and see what we can do. And we ended up winning all of our games by a lot. We had a really great second day and somehow managed to squeak through in a tie break to make it through the playoffs. And we're nice. like, shit, boys, we got a we got a real chance here. Like, And then we showed up and we played great. We played against the, the Bester clan uh, in the first game of the day. It was a good game, and we ended up winning and then we played the semifinal and lost on the last bowl of the game and i'm not a bad loser and i was the worst loser in the whole world that day so i think that was probably the worst one for me it's the one I that sticks in a, my mind right now anyway yeah i lost a national u18s i was up 12 nothing <laughs> i blew it wow who was that to cam what was that cody Oh, Cody. Yeah, I know Cody. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I lost a lot of U18 finals, but that one was that, me. <laughs> was that in uh, Saskatoon 2014? That was, yeah. Mm -hmm. I lost the year before to Jake or the year after to Jake. Mm -hmm. I think for me, it was back when they had the rule of you could choose if you wanted the mat or the jack or oh, the hammer. hammer. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I remember playing a provincial singles uh, second game. And I pop a four the first end, and I choose the jack. And every end after that, the guy I'm playing, um, like, nailed it with his last bowl, and then chose the hammer. Nailed it with his last bowl, chose the hammer, took one the rest of the game. So I lost 21-4 because I couldn't get the hammer, and he nailed it on his last bowl every single time. Oh, wow. That's up there. That's that's pretty good. Yeah. Especially for, for me, it was a, I don't not like a big event, but it was just like, the last last bowl of the game, you needed to trail the jack for two, 
trailed it perfectly, except a little hard. It jumped the backboard because the plinth was so high. Oh, that's the worst. Yes. So, and it was and it was a no dead end situation. If you killed the end, you gave up one. So it was like the shot was made, but the, it jumped the back. Like the backboard was so low, it jumped in. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I, I would say one of mine I, it was my first Southeast Open. It was in Sarasota, Florida, back when actually the greens were pretty decent. And um, I was, it was like 2003, so I was like in my 20s still. And I was 2 0, beat a couple of decently good players. And I'm playing in a, if you guys have been to Sarasota, the green behind the clubhouse. And this dude comes walking up. His name was Gee something. I forgot his last name. He, was, he walked up with a freaking oxygen tank. Like, oh, this is interesting. <laughs> <laughs> he turned his oxygen tank off for the game, and he beat me within like 15 minutes. And I'm like, I'm like, what the f just happened? What the? I was like, he gave me like 15 to one, shook my hand, turned his oxygen tank on, and walked away. Wow. <laughs> I, was, I was like, I couldn't believe. I was like, what the hell just happened here? You're like, I just lost a father time. What is going on? <laughs> I need, I needed the oxygen tank after. It was, it was crazy. <laughs> I'll, I'll never forget that. I think that was like the only game he won. He knew every quirk because he was a member of the Sarasota club. He knew every wrinkle and every quirk in that green, and I, I was—it was pretty amazing. That's incredible. Yeah. All right, guys. So I think we'll we'll cut off the the stream here. We're almost at a, a one hour twenty minutes, which is amazing. The conversation's been great. You guys have been great. Uh, we'll have to get every single one of you on again uh, to help out with the show. And just some housekeeping for everybody watching. Make sure that you like the Facebook page, you follow us on YouTube, do the subscribe, do the likes, do uh, hit that bell to, to get notifications of when we go live. And thank you for all the support that every single person has given us over their, uh, our run. And I know that Luke and I appreciate every single person that uh, comes in here and helps out. So with that... May all Wait. your bulls be... Oh, go ahead, Luke. Just a reminder, everyone, next week, next Saturday on YouTube, the Canadian Bowler will be live with our regular show. On just YouTube, want, yeah. Just wanted to throw that one out there. <laughs> yeah, we're doing, the, we're doing the After Dark on Facebook and the regular one on YouTube. So thank you, Luke. I do appreciate that. And guys, may all your bulls be touchers. Thanks for Cheers, everything. guys. Have a good night, guys. Thank you.